This is the Field of Streams Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Fangraphs. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Field of Streams Podcast. You may recognize me as Paul Spore, host of the Sleeper in the Bus Podcast. I'm filling in for the next two days for Dylan Higgins, covering all your DFS needs for the day. Let's get started right away, dive right into that Wednesday slate. There's only one day game, so we're really not going to focus on that. Uh, Houston against Oakland, not really important. Let's dive into the night slate and start with the pitchers. I'm a, basically, what I'm going to do is kind of go through some of my recommendations, maybe focus first on kind of the cash game options, and then maybe some uh, GPP options, maybe some guys who are a little bit cheaper, uh, a little bit more daring, things like that. Not all of them are going to be split as cash and GPP. Some of them you can use in whatever format, but you get the idea. Again, we're going to start with pitchers. And I'm going to start at the high end. These are obviously cash game types. Tyson Ross, I think, is a good option. I'm going to be citing the uh, DraftKings prices. Uh, that is where I play predominantly. I do play some fan duel, but I'm going to be focused uh, primarily on uh, DraftKings prices. So looking at Tyson Ross for $9,000 hosting the Cubs, I think this is a quality matchup for him. First off, you know, d- despite kind of a – uh, a rocky start to the season. I, you know, Tyson Ross certainly didn't get off to the start that many expected, but uh, I think it came out of April with a mid four ZRA or something like that. But despite all of all of the struggles that we've seen from Ross, and I put struggles kind of in quotes because he's only allowed. Uh, four earned runs as his high. It's been a lot of threes and twos, uh, but the four is the peak. Um, and he's still been striking out tons of guys. And the walks have been really the only issue that's affecting Tyson Ross right now. And it's been a big deal, though. He's, he's walked two plus in every single start. He's had a couple of fours in there. He's got a five spot. So Ross has been walking too many guys. That's been the big problem. However, he's still striking out tons of uh, people too and that's the draw here when you're matching Ross's strikeout rate against the Chicago Cubs strikeout uh, upside for pitchers it's it's just too juicy to pass up uh, Cubs strike out 26% of the time against righties that's a league high they have a 91 WRC plus which obviously is just, you know a couple ticks below average um, I think they rate around 20th. I actually didn't write that down. So I think it's I think it's in the high teens, low 20s in terms of where they rank in WRC plus. But again, we're going for the strikeouts because even I think Ross, even in in a three or four earned run kind of game, could still score really nicely with nine or ten strikeouts um, as long as he goes six or seven innings. That's another problem with the walks, though, is that it builds up the pitch count and it's tougher to get deeper into games. That's why we've seen him go five. Uh, five innings in four of his outings. Actually, one of them was five and two-thirds. So fewer than six in four of his eight outings. That's that's a bit of an issue for Ross, too. So there's a little gamble here, but I, I, I like this. I know he's 9,000. Um, Ross is the most expensive pitcher on the board, but I think you can feel comfortable both at home and with the, with the swing and miss tendencies of the Cubs. I also like Jordan Zimmerman. He's second most expensive at 8,900. So I'm playing kind of the chalk when it comes to cash games. But again, I just, it, it feels right here. Jordan Zimmerman is a guy who also, you know, maybe kind of was seen as having some struggles. Now, his struggles were a, a lot more real early in the season than Ross's. I think I think Ross was just kind of ironing some things out. Maybe wasn't as elite as last year. 
uh, whereas Zimmerman was outright struggling. I mean, there, there, there were some bad outings in there. I know Boston absolutely destroyed him, but I feel like he's righted the ship since that seven-earn-run nightmare in Boston. Zimmerman has a 2.58 ERA in his last 38 and a third uh, innings. He's gone six-plus innings in, in all of his starts except for that Boston massacre. Um, you know, so he's got 46 and two-thirds this year. The strikeouts are down. That's a bit of a problem for Zimmerman, only 30. And so I, I don't love that part of it for sure, especially because we haven't seen the, the commensurate uh, ground ball rise either. Zimmerman's usually been a guy who, if, if the strikeouts are going to be lower, then the ground balls are going to be really high and vice versa. He, he kind of bounces. It's, it's, it's that trade-off of I'm either going to give you good grounders, uh, you know, high ground ball rate, or I'm going to give you the strikeouts. Right now, we're not really getting either. 15% strikeout rate for the season, 39% ground ball rate. Um, he has more ground balls than fly balls, but you're talking about a thin margin there. It's a 1.1 ground ball to fly ball sort of ratio. Again, despite some of the negatives here that I'm talking about with Zimmerman, I still feel confident that he is, uh, you know, he has already righted the ship. He's continuing to kind of build on that and get better. I think some of the Strasburg stink has worn off on Zimmerman, though. I think the perception is that he's been much worse than he has been. Uh, like I said, there have been some struggles, but not enough to have me really freaked out. I don't really mind him against a, a, a Yankees team that, sure, they can, they're not terrible. Obviously, they're, they're first uh, in their division right now or or at least very close i don't know if anything flipped last night but um yankees are an okay offense they're they're 12th in the american league or excuse me they're 12th in baseball against right handers 97 wrc plus uh 20 strikeout rates so, you know they're kind of average not nothing special definitely shouldn't be something that you have to run away from with somebody like jordan zimmerman now looking at a few guys that are a little bit more out there uh Bigger gambles, kind of your GPP plays, probably uh, if you're going to use them. Maybe you could use one of them with Ross in a uh, in a cash game scenario. But you know, Drew Hutchison is somebody who has confounded me this year and, and and actually angered me more than anything else. But it's looking like he's getting right with back-to-back -back gems. More importantly, though, is that the the Los Angeles Angels are so inept against right-handers. That it might not matter really, uh, even if Hutch isn't on his on his game 100%. The Angels have a 74 WRC plus against right-handers. That's second worst in baseball right now, and there isn't a lot of reason for, for for hopes of a huge return. Now they should get better. They've got more talent than this, but there was a lot of turnover. So this team, you know, they all they all had um, 100 or better WRC pluses last year as, as, as a team. You know, they were fielding a whole lineup of, of 100 or better, which 100 is average. So that's, that's really impressive. This year they've got two such guys right now, Mike Trout and Cole Calhoun. And it's tough to feel confident picking a pitcher, even, you know, especially a mid-tier or, or maybe even a tick worse sort of pitcher against a team that features Mike Trout. I understand that. But – that's it. It's just Trout and Calhoun. I mean, they moved Calhoun down from a table-setting position to a run-producing one in the in the four-hole because they've been getting no production from their cleanup, and he's one of the only other guys hitting. So I do think it's a situation where um, Hutch could maneuver through that lineup. It is a gamble. Hutch himself has struggled against righties this year with a 944 OPS. It's weird because that's flipped on his head from last year where Hutch was dominant against righties and, and his big struggles came against lefties who were doing the damage with the homers um, that, that really kind of boosted his ERA. So 
I feel like Hutchison should get better against righties as the season kind of goes along. I can't really come up with a great reason right now as to why he's got in that. I actually miss, misspoke there. It's a 949 OPS, not a 944, but that's driven by a 420 batting average on balls in play. Some of that's his own fault for sure, uh, but but some of that is, is, some, is some misfortune as well that should sort of level off back in his favor. Oddly enough with Hutchison, he's actually been much better at home than on the road. Uh, 637 OPS at home, despite, you know, Rogers Center being a great hitter's park, and then 916 on the road. So getting an inept Angels team at home where he performs better. He does have the flaw against righties, which could be a little bit of a gamble. That's why I am looking more of this as a GPP play, trying to sneak up on some folks as opposed to a cash game head-to-head situation. Chase Anderson's another guy who, you know, at 6,100, definitely going to save you some money going to fit better as a GPP play, but I wouldn't hate him as a cash game guy with Tyson Ross. You know, he's, he, Chase Anderson's had a good season this year. We've seen some improvements across the board on a uh, decent effort last year. He was a bit of a sleeper this year for some folks, including Eno and myself. We were, we were trumpeting him as somebody who, you know, you can get super late, who could deliver you some quality innings. And that's what we've seen, some real quality innings from Chase Anderson so far. Uh, 281 earn run average and a 110 whip. You know, ground balls are up. Home runs are way down. Strikeouts are down a little bit, but so are the walks. I, I think that ERA is set to rise for Anderson overall, but I'm not I'm not too afraid of seeing a, a big regression piece here against the Miami Marlins, especially in the Marlins park. The one thing, like I said, that, that kind of bothered Anderson last year were the home runs, and this is Chase Anderson, not Brett Anderson, uh, who's also throwing today, but Chase Anderson was bothered by home runs last year, and while he has addressed that this year, even if it's something that isn't real, the, the, the .4 homer per nine, I don't see this Miami team as being one that's going to take advantage of them. First off, the problems were a lot against lefties, and they just don't have a lot of scary lefties on the Marlins. you got Yelich, who's struggling, Gordon, who's dominant but not a power guy, and then Justin Bohr and Ichiro, who might not even play. They're, 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 they're part-timers, I, although I do like Justin Bohr as somebody who you know is kind of hitting everything right now, uh, but not enough to scare me off of Anderson. So this is a good park for somebody with a, with a potential home run issue. I do like Chase Anderson at 6,100. And frankly, even though I do like Hutch kind of in a vacuum, when you're comparing the two and saving 1,100, bucks with Chase Anderson, it, it does make Chase Anderson a bit more appealing. And then another one, this is really off the board. This is definitely GPP only. If you're really trying to zig, it would be Kyle Loesch against the Tigers. First off, the Tigers, you never really feel comfortable going against them. Jimmy Nelson already got to them yesterday. You're, you're, you might be thinking, well, are they really going to buckle two days in a row? Um, and and so th- those are valid concerns. However, with Loesch, He's still got some of the stink from his early season left on him. He was decimated by the uh, Rockies on opening day, and that one wasn't even in Coors. Uh, but in his last five starts, he's got a 366 ERA, a .94 whip, 28 strikeouts, and a 4.0 strikeout-to-walk ratio in 32 innings. So Kyle Loesch is looking a lot like the guy that we're used to, and I, I don't think that you have to be terribly afraid of him. At the very least, if you're not interested in using him, um, even as a GPP play, I get that. But I might be more careful about stacking against him in that situation. I think, uh, you know, anytime that you can stack the Tigers is, is fun and, and can usually pay big dividends. But I'm not sure that that uh, this is the day to really do that. I feel like Loesch could, could do some things, um, you know, could, could have a decent outing here again. 
I'm not super comfortable using them in anything but a GPP, you know, where there's just a ton of people and I'm really trying to catch him off guard uh, because, of course, nobody would be surprised if the Tigers ran him up. But I, I, I'm saying that, you know, there's a chance that he goes out and is just the guy that we're used to seeing. Keep in mind that even with the 585 composite ERA for Loesch this year, he's still got a 120 whip. So that tells you, I mean, he, he's just been better than what those uh, terrible starts were. I mean, he started off poorly. There's really no two ways around it. You, you, you can't uh, wash that off of him. But he's slowly distancing himself from that and looking a lot more like the guy you invested in. So, again, even if you're not comfortable using Loesch, I would caution maybe against stacking Tigers super hard. And more importantly, um, or not more importantly, but, but in addition, if we're talking long-term season, long-term fantasy, uh, you might want to go get Loesch because you could probably get him for free uh, either off the waiver wire or for somebody else because I just don't think that he's going to be terrible the rest of the year, even if he's not great tonight against the Tigers. All right, let's move into some position players here. We're gonna Again, we're going to do the same sort of thing, talk about some guys kind of on the higher end and then maybe some cheaper plays that you can get away with um, either as a punt in, in your cash game uh, because you're running out of money or as a GPP play where you're really trying to catch the, the, the rest of the group off guard. Let's start behind the dish. I got three names. I'm going to start with Nick Hundley out in Colorado. First off, not hard to pick anybody in Colorado. So that, that part's a given right there. But the fact is that Nick Hundley is absolutely destroying righties with a 9.56 OPS against them this year. Unsurprisingly, he's also killing it in Coors with a 998 OPS this year. All three of his homers are versus righties. And Nick Hundley gets to face Severino Gonzalez, who I believe is making his second start uh, in MLB this uh, for his MLB career. Uh, actually, no, it's his third start. But Severino Gonzalez has a 1057 OPS in his first two for the Phillies. I just don't see him in Coors being a, a, a great option here. Obviously, anyone stacks, uh, you know, wants to stack Coors guys in Coors, so it's not gonna, you know, it's gonna be a very common play. But just because it's the the easy play doesn't mean it's the wrong play. Nick Hundley looking great today, especially at his price point, which is 3,500. Another quality one, which I, I'm surprised this point price point didn't jump up. Usually playing against lefties, you would see Derek Norris's price jump up. Alas, he's at 3,600, and obviously he's a near automatic against lefties. He's got an 11.02 OPS this year, and Derek Norris gets to face Yoshi Wada pitching for the Cubs, who's solid. You know, he's he's, he's decent, uh, but he's not special. He's certainly not somebody that you're afraid of uh, if you've got somebody who is a lefty killer. So we're definitely looking at Norris there, and if you don't want to go kind of obvious with Hunley, then Norris is another one who you could could definitely go to save money as well at, at 3600 That is not at the uh, upper end of the catcher spectrum. Uh, although that that position is decimated, that uh, those two might actually be you know pretty close up there. I know Russell Martin is tracking in the mid fours, but um, yeah, Hunley and Norris, I like both of them. Uh, they're going to be very popular picks for sure. Siyoshi Wada, who Derek Norris is facing, is much worse against righties. He's got a 799 OPS against them compared to a 429 OPS against lefties. So uh, Norris, 
going to be an easy pick this year. And then for the for the deep pun play type of option, you got Brian Pena at 2,900. He's an empty batting average, but it is built off of right-handers. He's got a 371 average and an 848 OPS against them. By the way, with the average being that high and the OPS, relatively speaking, being that low, it again tells you that it's a bit of an empty average. But you're spending 2,900 in hopes of getting, you know, uh, just a couple of points. At that, at, at that point, you really don't need Brian Pena to go off if you're only spending 2900 so even like a you know four four to six point day would be perfectly fine whereas with Hunley and Norris even though their their prices aren't too high you're really hoping that they go off that those would be big expectations for them let's move over to first base now and uh, obviously Every day there are big names that that are intriguing we're going to start up at the top with Eric Hosmer He's coming in right now at, at 4,900, which you know isn't even the tops over at that position. That first base can obviously get very pricey. You're talking about Paul Goldschmidt at the top with 5,800, Jose Abreu 5,500, Miguel Cabrera 5,400, and even Encarnacion at 5,100. So four guys up above the $5,000 threshold. Um, you're, you're you're almost saving money with like an Eric Hosmer at 4,900. Uh, he's absolutely decimating righties this year at 1073 OPS at home. He's got an 1157. He hasn't been anemic against lefties this year or any of the real uh, last three years for Hosmer. So you don't even have to worry about him kind of being like a three at bat sort of guy because a lefty will come in later and, and dominate him. No, they, they could throw a lefty reliever for the Reds against him later in the game. Obviously if it's Chapman, that's not going to help. But if you're talking about middle relief, um, he isn't automatically somebody that's going to, you know, be one of those 200 OPS kind of guys against lefties. Um, and he gets Marquis to start the game, so that's huge. You know, uh, Jason Marquis has an 800 OPS uh, in his career against lefties. That's about 40 points worse than against righties. He's just not that good. I mean, we, we, we saw Jason Marquis get off to a hot start, but I, I don't really trust him. I think this KC offense is going to be a popular stack, and they could really rip Marquis. I like the other first baseman, the counterpart first baseman in that game as well. It's Joey Votto. He's tracking at 4,600 right now. He's definitely down for May after that uh, after that white hot uh, April. He's sputtering with a 583 OPS, but it's a good matchup to get right. It's Jeremy Guthrie. Votto is uh, does have a 901 OPS against righties. He's a road warrior with a 955 career OPS on the road, including a 959 this year. So everything sets up for Votto to kind of get out of this funk here against Jeremy Guthrie. Um, and again, at 4,600, you're almost saving money at first base because you know a lot of those $5,000 or higher guys that I mentioned earlier will be heavily used, and as will Hosmer. So even if you go against the Hosmer pick, you're kind of saving 300 bucks uh, compared to others with, with Votto at 4,600. And then Prince Fielder is another decent option. He's up at 4,900 as well. He gets Joe Kelly uh, for Boston, and, and that's in Boston. So, you know, he... he he could uh, beat up on that green monster there. I know for lefties, it's not as easy. It's it's to the opposite field, but but Prince Fielder can hit to all fields. He's got 9.28 OPS against righties. Uh, just a just a 110 ISO though, because it's it's driven by 31 singles right now. So we haven't seen the pop that we've expected from Fielder just yet. But um, there, there's still a lot to like with him. He's still having a quality season. Joe Kelly, however, is not. You, you see the raw stuff with Joe Kelly, and it's easy to get excited.
did. I, I've fallen for it multiple times myself. I'm kind of still falling for it because even even as brutal as uh, his bottom line numbers have been, Joe Kelly's toting a 5.58 ERA this year. I, I still remain intrigued. I'm not necessarily rostering him anywhere, and I'm not afraid to go against him hardcore in DFS, you know, with a couple of different Rangers. But I uh, I look at this stuff, I'm like, why aren't you better? It doesn't make any sense. Joe Kelly has actually been better against lefties this year with a 495 OPS. That's abnormal for his career. Kelly has been 728 OPS against lefties, 684 against righties. That's not a huge split one way or the other, but both sides can, can get to him uh, is really really the point there. I mean, he Joe Kelly's been good for his career in the NL. It's just he's struggling a bit in his, in his first go. Uh, I, I guess it's his second go. He was traded midseason last year. But it hasn't been good for him. He hasn't been able to turn that raw stuff into results just yet. I think Fielder's a decent option here. Again, he's third on the list. That, that'd be more if you really didn't want to go with the real popular picks there. Uh, and then if you're really trying to save money, you're stacked on pitching um, and in the outfield. I mentioned him earlier, Justin Bohr. Obviously don't use him if you're going to use Chase Anderson because then you're kind of going against yourself. But Bohr is coming in at just 2700 at first base. I mean, that's that's nothing. That's, that's absolutely free. Now, it is at first base, so it is really tough to punt first base because there is so much uh, – high upside there. I, I was going to say value, but not really because you, you got to pay for them. But that's where usually a position where you want to get big numbers. So I understand the reluctance to maybe go for somebody this cheap, but at 2,700, uh, Boar's been raking. I mean, it, it's a small sample for sure, uh, but he's he, he's got a, uh, excuse me, Chase Anderson has a 756 OPS against lefties. That represents a 270-point split. Um, compared to his numbers against righties. So lefties really get to Anderson. Uh, Bohr had an 855 OPS against righties in the minors from 2011 to 2014 compared to a 666 against lefties. So he's a righty smasher. Um, he's been doing that so far in 32 plate appearances with the Marlins. But again, it's 32 plate appearances, so I'm not really saying that his 1,004 OPS is a is an expected level for Bohr. But again, if you're spending 2700 on a guy, the, the bar for him to be a value to you, a, a positive value, isn't that high. Uh, uh, you know, a hit or two, um, you know, a hit and a run is fine, a hit and two walks, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be a big night. And we've seen Justin Bohr, uh, you know, have plenty of solid nights, just a couple hits there. When he starts, he's been solid. Small sample, I get it, but not a bad option, again, if you're stacked up elsewhere. Let's move on to second base. The obvious play, Brian Dozier against the lefty. You know, he, he was part of the barrage that uh, absolutely obliterated Francisco Liriano yesterday. I think Dozier had an uh, early home run, if I remember. Yeah, his seventh home run. He was one for four with two runs scored, a walk, and, of course, the ribby because of the homer. You know, both Dozier and uh, a third baseman that we're going to talk about for the Twins, they're, they're obvious. They're plays that you got to talk about against lefties every single time out. I think the, the, the last time I was on the show when I was a guest – the Twins were facing a lefty, and I recommended both of them because Dozier and Plouffe against lefties, you just you just got to do it. Um, Dozier's back up to his old tricks with a 30, uh, 31 runs scored. That's an AL best because the Twins are on fire. Uh, he marks lefties big time, 868 OPS against them for his career, 948 this year. 
Dozier had two homers in April, and, and you know people were wondering, well, okay, where's the power? Where's the guy who we saw last year? But he's got five in his last nine games, so he's back on pace. He's on pace now for 30. I don't know that Dozier's going to hit 30 bombs, but the fact is he's he's back on track to kind of the guy that we saw last year who hit 23 homers. Now, the stolen bases aren't, aren't quite as high right now. Dozier was a 2020 guy last year. I think he's pacing for like – 30 and 15 or something like that. Obviously, that'd be excellent. I don't think he's going to hit 30 homers uh, necessarily, but mid-20s is fine uh, and decent speed, even if it's not up at the 21 stolen bases. But stolen bases come in bunches, so he could easily get on track for another 2020 season. Long long story short, I like Dozier. Uh, Jed Jorko is completely unplayable against righties. He has a 421 OPS, but he is smashing lefties with an 1167 so far this year and an 804 career mark against them with a 200 ISO, which we really like. So he, he muscles up against lefties. That's really the only the only play for Jerko right now because, like I said, cannot get in the shouldn't be in the lineup against right-handers. Talked about it already. Siyoshi Wada has struggles against righties. This could be a good time to actually use him. By the way, I didn't mention the prices on either. Uh, Dozier's 4,600. Jerko's 3,400. Um, so Jerko is more of the, the GPP kind of play. So is this other guy, Danny Espinosa, also at 3,400. He's just having his best season yet. An 854, uh, excuse me, an 845 OPS, five homers. All of the power comes against righties. He's going to be facing Adam Warren, who just hasn't been terribly uh, impressive this year as a starter. If, you know, looking more like, sure, he can kind of hack it as a starter, but might might be more um, elite level as a reliever. We're looking at a 1-6 strikeout-to-walk ratio for Warren in his seven starts. That's just really unimpressive. Um, righties have a 743 OPS against him. Lefties at 644, 664. So he's actually got kind of a reverse platoon split, which is interesting. Um, Danny Espinosa is a switch hitter, so he will be batting from the left side. I'm not really deterred by the early success against lefties because for his career, Warren doesn't really have a platoon split. 702 against righties, 727 against lefties. 25 points, that's not really a, a, a split. So I, I expect uh, that, that lefties have a good good enough shot to have some decent success against Warren. I don't see him as a major threat. I could see myself playing Espinosa um, as a, as a money-saving option at second base. Moving on to shortstop, a.k.a. the worst position in the world. This year, it's just been absolutely brutal. Totally uh, hard to really get anything going because Tulowitzki isn't doing anything. And if Hanley Ramirez isn't healthy, it's hard to have a premium option there. So all three of these options are, are, are kind of you know, off the board a little bit. They're, they're just, they're not expensive um, and they're not terribly appealing, but I'm going with Brandy Crawford as an idea. Um, it's kind of a zig play, even in, even in cash games though, because he's going against the lefty and you don't usually go with lefty lefty, but he's destroying lefties. He's got an 1105 OPS against them. This continues a, tre a trend from 2014 for Brandon Crawford, where he's been getting much better against lefties. You know, he's got a career 702 uh, OPS against lefties, and it's actually better than his 679 against righties. Now, both of his career numbers are a little bit misleading because uh, they're, they're kind of garbage, and, and they would make you not want to play him against anybody, but Brandon Crawford has really been evolving as a hitter these last two years. 
I, I buy into a good bit of what he's doing this year. Maybe not the 881 OPS as a whole. I think that would make him kind of a, a star-level player. I'm not sure I'm ready to go there with Crawford yet. But something in the low 800s for the full season I think is very much in play for Crawford. This is a guy I really liked coming into the year. So um, I'm not afraid to use him here against a lefty. The price at 3800 um, isn't enough to really scare me off. Uh, and so that even if it doesn't work out, it's not going to decimate the night. I, I like him, especially because there just aren't a lot of options at shortstop. Another one is a similar kind of situation. It's Zach Cozart, and he's going against a righty, but it's Jeremy Guthrie, who I just don't think is great. Um, Cozart's 3,700, so you don't usually go righty-righty, but Cozart's got a 796 OPS with three homers against righties this year, and that's up one. Uh, he only had two homers against them, despite 301 fewer at-bats. So uh, he's been much better against righties so far this year. I don't love Zach Cozart, but 3,800, okay, if I'm, you know, shortstop. Again, it's terrible. Jeremy Guthrie, not particularly special. So I could see myself doing it. Um, and then for kind of the GPP play, the, you could really put this guy anywhere because um, – I well, actually, let me see where he qualifies. Uh, they only list two spots, but I guess that's because that, that, that they never really list more than two. Hang on. I think that eligibility uh, – they don't list anything when you click on his name either. But Brock Holt's who I'm talking about here. He's 3,300. I think uh, he's somebody that uh, – oh, maybe he doesn't qualify as short. I thought he qualified as shortstop there. I guess it is just the third base and outfield eligibility. So he doesn't really count here, but um, he isn't special. But, he, but shortstop is terrible, so I guess if you play on another site, that counts Holt at shortstop. Um, lefties pummel Phil Klein, who's going for the Texas Rangers tonight. So, yeah, slot Holt in wherever you can at whatever site you play. DraftKings looks like he's at third base only, but I like a lot of guys at third base. So let's shift over there, and I like a lot of guys in the outfield too. So if that's all he qualifies at, at, at uh, DraftKings, he's not going to fit in my lineup. Let's shift over to third base and, and start at the top here with uh, Michael Moustakis, who's dominating this year his breakouts looking more legit by the day it really is he's got 959 ops against righties he's not striking out at all he's collecting hits left and right uh moustakis has 15 multi-hit games so far in 36 games he had 17 all of last year in 140 games i mean the the dude is absolutely on fire he's 4200 which isn't even that high of a price i would have expected a much higher price against a jason marquis you know where he's going to have the platoon advantage facing a, in a you know a low level pitch but he's 4,200. That that seems like robbery. This is an easy guy to put in the lineup, I think, today. Unless there's something I'm missing, uh, Marky maybe they turn lefty or something. I, I don't know. But uh, I, I'm just – I'm not afraid of, of – buying into this Moustakis breakout here, especially in a DFS situation. A season long might be a little bit more reluctant. But, again, like I said, I'm buying into it more and more every single day. I'm not afraid to go righty-righty with uh, Nolan Arenado. Again, Severino Gonzalez is not scaring anybody, especially at home. Um, I know that Arenado hasn't been as good at home this year with a 682 OPS, but honestly, he's got an 842 career, and frankly, the slow start just tells me that he's he's going to get super hot at home eventually. Um, and, and what better night than tonight to start? So Nolan Arenado, not scared of righty-righty, not scared of the early home numbers start him against Severino Gonzalez. If there's a way, if there's an outlet that you play that somehow allows you to get Moustakis and Arenado in there, I would love that because I think both are going to explode. I uh, still got even more options. I already mentioned Trevor Plouffe destroys lefties forever, 831 for his career, up to 908 this year with a 260 ISO. 
Another guy I liked in season long for a bit of a breakout. He's 3,800. By the way, um, Arenado, 4,500. Sorry, I'm not. I haven't been great about mentioning the prices every time I bring up these guys. So Mustakis, 4,200. Nolan Arenado, 4,500. Trevor Poof, 3,800. And then the last one is Pedro Alvarez at 3,600. He's always been quality against righties. He's got an 832 OPS, 240 ISO. I mean, he's completely inept against lefties with a 258. Uh, OPS this year, a 258 OPS for Pedro Alvarez against lefties. So, you know, he is one of those guys. I was mentioning it earlier, uh, I think, regarding Hosmer. Not somebody that – Hosmer isn't somebody that you have to necessarily worry about getting stifled and at bat later in the game because of an inept, ineptitude against lefties. Alvarez, you kind of have to. So you, you should probably only bank on on three, maybe four plate appearances. But late in the game, there's going to be some lefty. Maybe it's Glenn Perkins. Maybe it's somebody else out of the Twins bullpen. But he's going to face some lefty, and that's going to basically be a dead at bat. But at 3,600, you're just hoping for that homer, and, and then that makes the day. Uh, you're hoping for the homer against Mike Pelfrey, and then your day is set regardless of kind of how the rest goes. All right, let's jump into the outfield where, unsurprisingly, I've got tons of options. Who who doesn't um, in the outfield on a, on a full slate sort of day? Good luck, Adam Warren, against Bryce Harper. Uh, obviously, 5,700, he's one of the top picks. He's going to be one of the top picks. Again, just because it's the obvious one doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, I understand it's tough to spend that money, but I've given you plenty of money-saving options. So if you want to ride this hot streak with Bryce Harper, then by all means do so. Uh, Harper's hitting 400, 520, 983 in May. 983 slug, folks, with 10 homers. He's got a 1434 OPS at home this year. Uh, it, it's just been absolutely ridiculous for Bryce Harper. Playing like the best player in baseball right now. I think at the very least, uh, if you're kind of ranking guys for the rest of the year, he's got to be top five. Uh, Bryce Harper is absolutely ridiculous right now. Again, good luck, Adam Warren. You know, the the only guy who uh, might be taking some of the shine away from 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 Harper in terms of the headlines of mashing guys right now is is Nelson Cruz, and he's been doing it all year himself. And he's hitting an impossible. 224, excuse me, 2224. That's 2.224 OPS against lefties. That's his OPS. He's got a 591 average, six homers, and a 940 ISO. That again, th these numbers are comical. ISO, for those unaware, is slugging minus average, and his is 954 against lefties. Cruz is absolutely destroying uh, everyone right now. The the baseball is not safe around Nelson Cruz, um, lefties especially. So Ronis Elias, good. Oh, excuse me, that's his current teammate. His former teammate Wei Yin Chen is who he gets to face today. Good luck to Chen. Coincidentally, or or or. Um, all the better for us is that Chen has a little bit of a home run issue uh, throughout his career, so that's going to bode well for, for everyone involved with regards to uh, Nelson Cruz. And they are also in Camden, where he obviously dominated last year. So Cruz at 5,500 is, is going to be an obvious pick as well. If you can get Harper and Cruz in there, you probably have to go with like a, a Brian Pena and Justin Bohr at, at catcher in first. But man, those two alone might make up for make up for it. And then if if one of one of Pena and Bohr break out for you, oh my God, you could have a huge night. Everything could go right. The, the morning's the best time for for DFS because you're thinking of how everything can go right and how great it will be. But by seven o'clock tonight, you'll understand that uh, it's remarkably difficult and you're terrible at this game and you you lost all your money for the night. Uh, 
but ho hopefully that doesn't happen, but it probably will by 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, sticking with more outfield options, Denard Spann's another good one. Um, 4800 bucks. He gets face out of Morn. Uh, he had a six-game multi-hit streak snapped yesterday, but he's still on an eight-game hitting streak. He's a superstar against righties right now. I mean, 1054 OPS. I mean, he's a double-A hitter against lefties, though, with a 232 OPS. Doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, it matters late in the game. Again, you know, going to face like an Andrew Miller or somebody. Okay, we get that. But we're hoping for the damage to come in the three or four plate appearances against the starters or righty relievers that will face Span uh, to begin with. Shinsu Chu is another guy that I'm, I'm I'm staying in on because he's totally hot right now, 4,700 bucks. Uh, he's a complete flip from April. He had a 4.27 OPS in April, and Chu's got a 10.43 OPS in May so far. He has 26 of his 31 hits for the season in May. 26 of 31 for Chu. That's hilarious. And again, they're facing Joe Kelly. I, I do think that uh, the lefties could get a piece of Joe Kelly today. Like I said, I know he's been better against lefties so far this season, but I don't quite buy it. Adam Jones isn't quite Nelson Cruzian against lefties, uh, but he's still amazing with a 1365 OPS after a 1003 mark for all of last year. So Adam Jones, I mean, he's absolutely dominating this year. He's only 4,400 against a lefty, Rowanis Elias. I'm surprised at that figure. Uh, as much as I like the two studs, Cruz and, and Harper that I mentioned, Jones at 4,400 is almost the smarter play because you're saving that money, 1,100 with Cruz and 1,300 from Harper. I, I understand the other two are just dominating right now, but uh, it's not like Adam Jones is some, some schlock who uh, needs to get off the schneid. He's been excellent this year as well. So for him to be that, that cheap, relatively speaking, um, that's very interesting to me. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Adam Jones has his flaws. He doesn't walk. You're probably not going to get a walk. Who cares? He dominates and he dominates lefties. I really like Adam, Adam Jones today. His teammate, Steve Pierce has been terrible. Might not even be in the lineup. However, makes an interesting zag play today. If you're really trying to go the other way, um, or, you know, you got to save some money after getting Cruz and Harper, then Pierce coming in at 3,700 might be that money saving option for you as your third outfielder. He's been, he's been terrible, like I said, but in 863 OPS career versus lefties and he gets run as Ilias, uh, 693 against righties. So much better. Um, he had a one, excuse me, an 11.09, that's 1.109 OPS with nine homers uh, against lefties last year in just the 111 plate appearances. So he absolutely destroyed lefties last year. I don't know what's up with Steve Pierce right now. I feel like it can't stay this bad. Um, but again, a decent option if you're really trying to save some money and, and catch folks off guard with somebody who could, uh, you know, not not necessarily bust out um I, I guess I guess that's the word. Bust out for one game. We, we need Steve Pierce to get back on track. So if you're a Steve Pierce believer, this might not be a bad time to uh, take a shot on him and hope he can kind of get out of this this early funk because he's been garbage for 94 plate appearances thus far. Here's the obligatory uh, Ryan Rayburn against a lefty recommendation. I know it's Carlos Rodon, so it won't be easy sledding necessarily, but we saw kind of the good and the bad of Rodon already in his two starts. He was great. Um, I think that was against the the Reds in his debut, and then Oakland ripped him, and Oakland been had been terrible against lefties. 
this year. So that tells you, you know, anything can happen, especially when you're dealing with a rookie. But Ryan Rayburn dominates lefties, 808 OPS for his career, including a 1019 uh, this season. He's at 3100 bucks. He'll be a popular pick. But again, that's a money-saving technique if you're going to go with a Harper or Cruz or both. Um, and, and then you can save some money with Rayburn, who's a lefty killer. And then the last guy that we're going to talk about is Carlos Peguero. He's a punt play for sure. He's 3000 bucks. Uh, he's a strikeout machine. You're really hoping to get that one homer um, and, and be done with it. He's got major power against righties if he can make contact. 250 ISO uh, versus righties with four homers and 76 plate appearances. So he's swinging for the fences all the time. Again, we're talk we've talked a couple times now. Joe Kelly has been better against lefties this year, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't really buy it. Pagaro is going to be swinging and swinging hard. Well, here's hoping that he can hit a homer um, and, again, save you some big money at, at 3000 bucks. So those are the individual players that I like. Stacks that you can look at. I uh, already kind of covered some of them, but just to kind of run them down. Boston against J Phil Klein. KC against Jason Marquis. Colorado against Severino Gonzalez. I guess Philly against Eddie Butler, but who, who do you really feel good about using for Philly? I know because it's in Coors. Um, Tampa Bay against Williams Perez, uh, a, a pitcher for Atlanta. I, I believe a prospect of, of some import, though not definitely not an elite-level prospect. I don't know too much about Williams Perez. Um, I know he's pitched out of the bullpen a little bit uh, so far this season. Nothing particularly special from that realm. Um, he had five starts in Gwinnett. Now I'm just looking at the box score or, or the stat line here on baseball reference. Five starts in Gwinnett this year as a 24-year-old. 133 ERA, but a 137 whip, which tells you the ERA is a, a complete fraud. 9.3 hits per nine, three walks per nine. So, you know, putting on base runners left and right as the whip, of course, tells us. Keeps the ball, seems to be a ground ball type of guy. Maybe. I'm, now, this is just pure guess out of the uh, out of the box scores here because we're looking at a .3 home run rate this year, .5 for his career. Never been higher than .8 at any stop in the minors. So he looks like a guy who keeps the ball in the yard, and with all the hits that he gives up, it seems like a ground baller who, you know, needs premium defense to kind of keep him uh, keep him afloat there. Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot of great guys, but this could be a sneaky stack because there aren't a lot of obvious guys, and so you're attacking somebody like a Williams Perez with a team that isn't commonly used. That's kind of a way to win a tournament. Uh, Pittsburgh against Mike Pelfrey, Texas against Joe Kelly, we mentioned, and of course Cincinnati against Jeremy Guthrie. Um, I think that's going to wrap us up. I you know talked about all the players, talked about some stacks. I'll be on again tomorrow if there's anything you want me to do differently or if you – I don't know. But let me know what you think. This is not going to be a regular thing. Dylan will be back. He's on a family vacation right now. I'll be here again tomorrow. Uh, but until then, good luck tonight. I hope you don't lose all your money. But let's be honest. We're all going to lose all of our money. Thank you for listening to the Field of Streams podcast. For more fantasy baseball analysis, visit Fangraphs.com slash fantasy or follow us on Twitter at Rotographs.